Today um, is the first day of our Advent series. It's three weeks of this before Christmas uh, uh, service on the 20, uh, uh, 26th. Okay, so Christmas will be on the 26th. For those of you who are here and here, Christmas will be on Christmas service will be on 26th. That is, uh, so I will announce to you this again uh, in the weeks to come. All right, but today I want to share with us a little bit about what it means uh, to wait. What does it mean to Wait. Advent means uh, 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 preparation and waiting, right? Waiting for the coming of the Lord. And, and so today I want to approach uh, uh, getting us into Advent for the next two weeks as well. We'll be here. Um, and, and I want to show you guys um, that God's people for a period of time also spent a long time waiting. And I believe in the Spirit that some of you are in a season where you yourself are in a season of waiting. You're waiting for the Lord to take you to what is next. You're waiting for the Lord to show you what is next. Maybe for you, you're waiting for breakthrough or you're waiting for healing. You're waiting for, uh, for, for, for something to take place. You know, uh, I, I've, I spent some time thinking about the different kinds of ways in which we wait. And, and sometimes we wait for something we know is going to happen. Right? Uh, uh, can, can you think of something that you wait for something you know is going to happen? And it's a good thing, right? It's a good thing. Can you think of that? Can, can you think of any examples when you have a loved one coming back from overseas, right? Um, you know it's going to happen. It's something that brings joy. You wait for it. You wait for it. And you feel like, oh, anxious each day because you can't wait for it, right? Um, and that's, that's a kind of waiting of anticipation, right? You're, 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 you're waiting with delicious excitement, right? Um, and then there is, there is the kind of waiting where you're also waiting for something you know will happen, but it's something that is not so good or it's something that brings fear or concern or anxiety uh, for you. It could be an exam that you know is coming up, you know, and, and you're waiting for it with with dread, right? Sometimes we wait for something in dread. In the, in the, in the, it's no longer a joyful anticipation. It's with some amount of dread and fear and trembling. And then there is a totally another kind of waiting. And that is the kind of waiting where the ball is now on the other court and you don't know what is going to happen. This is the kind of waiting where you really are not sure what is going to come back at you. I was just watching, um, I don't know if there are any chess geeks here or here, right? Uh, but but, the, the, but ch Chess World Championships is happening right now. Uh, uh, Magnus Carlsen versus Jan uh, 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 Nepo Minyachi. And, uh, and they were playing game six. When I was preparing for this sermon, they were playing game six. And, and it ended up being 136 moves, uh, the eight, seven hours, 43 minutes, the longest World Championship game of all time, right? And, and I was... Of course, when, when it's so long, they spend a lot of time just thinking. So I can actually prepare my sermon. And then I'm watching Magnus Carlsen, the world champion, like, <laughs> and he's thinking. Um, because, because the ball is now on his court. And for his opponent, he's made his move. And now he's waiting. What is his opponent going to do? And he doesn't know. Some things we wait, we know what's coming up. Well, it's just a matter of waiting. Some things we don't know what's going to come back. And so in your mind, you are calculating all the possibilities. If A, therefore, all these possibilities. If, the, if what comes back is B, therefore, all those are the possibilities. And, and, and some of these moves, they, they spend 20 minutes thinking, okay? Like, wow, so long, so tension, you know? So, but, but doesn't it feel a little bit 
like for us as well. You make a move in life and then you sit waiting and you think, God, what is your next move? God, what's coming back at me, right? I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And, and along the way, you start, if you're if you the high C type, you're the planning type, you start thinking, okay, if God comes back with this kind of thing, if God says no, therefore, these are all the things I'm going to uh, 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 do. If God says yes, but with condition A, B and C, then it's going to be like that. If conditions D, E, F, it's going to be like that. Some of you uh, process decisions like that. Process uh, Some of us, it's just, it's just foggy, right? It's like you just don't know what's coming and you're just walking in a mist and you're hoping for the best. But you're also waiting. And, and that, that, in a way, characterizes all of our relationship with this awkward, uncomfortable period uh, uh, where we are uncertain about what is coming up next. Now, God's people... Okay, I want to show you a little bit about history. Uh, you, you guys are here. How many history buffs here? If you're online, if you like history, can you, can you type into the chat? Say, I love history, right? You like history? If you're a history buff, type into the chat. I want to see your po chats popping up, okay? Um, if don't have means you all don't like history, okay? Then I'll, then I'll keep this part short. Yeah, but here also got a few, right? History buffs. Now, uh, if you go to the next slide, okay, uh, we are familiar with the story of the Bible, okay? So if you've never seen the Bible story summarized on the one slide, okay, it looks a bit like this, okay? Um, uh, of course, there's the beginning, uh, um, uh, God creates, and then by Genesis chapter 12, you have God walking with Abraham. Okay, and uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. No, no. Let, let, let's keep it on the on this. Yeah. All right. Um, you've got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Right. They are called the patriarchs, the fathers of our faith. Right. Um, and so God walks with them, and God promises them that I am going to do something with your family. Right? Your your family is a special family. Through your family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I'm going to do something, and through you, um, you'll become numerous. You're gonna uh, uh, um, and I will establish a great bright hope coming out from you. Along the way, Abraham, son Isaac, son is Jacob, and then he's got 12 sons, and one of them ends up being sold in slavery to Egypt. The whole family ends up in Egypt eventually. Go read your Bible, Exodus, uh, sorry, Genesis uh, uh, chapters 30 onwards, you know, just, just go read about that. Now, they end up in Egypt, a whole clan, right? And then they spend some 390 somethings are close to 400 years in Egypt, okay? And then eventually, okay, then remember in Egypt, what happens? Prince of Egypt, how many of you remember the cartoon, okay? Um, okay, if we're having difficulty with the broadcast, maybe we can take down the slide and then put it back up again and then, and then let's try that again, okay? Now, how many of y'all, y'all know Prince of Egypt, right? Moses! Moses, right? Uh, um, comes, he goes to Pharaoh and he says to Pharaoh, let my people go, right? Because my people are slaves in your land, but my God is calling them out of here to go back home to worship him there. Let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, nah, no, no, they are my slaves. If I let go of my, if, of my, of my foreign labor, why, 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 who's going to build, my, who's gonna build my, my monuments? Who's going to build my, my pyramids and all that, right? So he says, no, clash, 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 eventually miracle, Red Sea parts. Moses leads the people out and then they go across to the other side. And then, if you know your Bible, this is the book of Joshua, the book of Judges, the people settle on the land, right? They settle on the land, they, they, they divide up the land according to the different tribes, they settle there, and after centuries pass, they say, we want a king. They say, we want a king. God says, no, I'm your king. 
It says, no, we get it, but no, we want a physical king. We want a king like all our neighbours have kings. We want that kind of king to lead us into battle, to give us laws and to blah, blah, blah. And God says, please, don't. This is not a good thing you're asking for. They says, no, we want a king. And God gives them a king. He gives them King Saul. You know what? Sometimes we think that could, could Saul have made it? Or could Saul have not made it? it? Was he doomed to failure, King Saul? You know what? Honestly, any man given that kind of unchecked power, that kind of, that, that kind of uh, uh, um, uh, unchecked authority, access to wealth, to power, to what, all, all these things, who can survive? My friends, who can survive? Right? We follow Malaysian politics. Who can survive? We follow any kind of human nature. Who can survive that kind of thing? So Saul ended up being a very bad king, right? Insecurity crept in, uh, craziness crept in, uh, 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 murderous kind of like, like, like fear crept in, you know. But over time, God raised up another king, a king who would love him, a king who would be broken, who would also be sinful, but that king in his sin, in his brokenness, would turn to God and say, you are my Lord, my king. My, you, I, I, you are the real king. I'm just a man, right? And that is King David. King David led to Solomon. After Solomon, the kingdom splits in two. His son takes, uh, his son Rehoboam takes the southern kingdom and then his, one of his uh, um, key uh, uh, members of his, of his staff Right, uh, uh, Jeroboam ends up taking the northern kingdom, and then the northern kingdom they, they go on for a while. Eventually, they, they sin so badly, they are completely annihilated uh, uh, not annihilated, but they are, they are, they are taken um, by, by the Assyrian kingdom, gone forever. Right, northern kingdom, you see their timeline stops there, right? And then the southern kingdom, uh, si similar things, disobey God, end up in Babylon, end up in Babylon for 70 years. That's where you get the book of Daniel, you get the book of, uh, of uh, Ezekiel, and then after some time, then you have Nehemiah, Ezra, they come back, they return to the land. Now, here's the thing. When we read our Bibles, we usually see return and then you have Ezra and Nehemiah setting up the, the temple, the, the re-establishing re worship, Malachi, the last words of Malachi says, you know, um, uh, you, I will turn the hearts of the sons to the father, the hearts of the fathers to the sons, and if you don't do this, then a curse will befall you, and then checkered flag, boom, finish, end of story, habis wayang, close Old Testament. And then we don't know what happens after that. Frankly, we don't really know what happens after that. Uh, we, somebody told us, we heard on the pulpit before somebody mentioned the expression 400 years of silence. So we just simply parrot it back. We say that, oh yeah, apparently there was 400 years of silence, right? <laughs> but we don't even really know what that means, okay? And then there is like a totally new story, okay? X number of pages later, if your Bible has no introductions, it's one page, 400 years in one page. You turn from Malachi to Matthew, Suddenly got Jesus, suddenly got manger, suddenly got Christmas story, suddenly got, got new setting, new, and then now got Pharisees. Eh, well, last time no Pharisees one, why not got Pharisees? How come uh, last time their society is ordered differently? Why now different, you know? Um, and then, uh, yeah, never mind lah, ignore all that, that's history. Don't follow, right? Um, Jesus, yay, yay, Jesus, baby, manger, uh, uh, salvation, angel, shepherds, we have heard on high, right? And then suddenly, very quickly, we are ushered into Jesus in the desert, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, church, go to the ends of the earth. And then it's like, wow, that's great. But, but it's like two different stories. 
And it cannot be two different stories. It has to be integrated. It has to make sense to each other. So I want to help you fill in what happens in that in-between space. After God's people come back to the land and in the waiting. Everybody say waiting. Everybody say waiting. Waiting. In the waiting for a saviour. They wait and they wait and they wait. And, and, and two, the, two major things, uh, actually three major things happen. I'm going to share with you two, right? Of the three major things, the first one that happens is Alexander the Great starts conquering lots of territory, okay? So the, the, the Greek Empire, um, Hellenization, Hellenistic culture, Greek culture starts spreading across. So they return to the land, but very quickly, that land stops having a very distinct Jewish identity because Greek culture sweeps in. And after Alexander's kingdom starts to fragment, and then in that area where Judea is, the Seleucids, okay? You don't have to remember this, okay? But the group of people, the government there is called the Seleucids. Now, Seleucids is what is the fragment within that area. And so, they are still being governed by some kind of like pseudo-Greek type of, of, of kingdom. And then a few things happen. And I want to show you because as the people of God are waiting for their Messiah, saying, Lord, we have returned to the land, but we are waiting for you to return to us. What is happening? And they are watching. They are watching. Every day they are watching. Okay? They are looking out for their Messiah. You know, actually, if you are constantly looking out for something, it's quite tiring, one, huh? because after a while, you start to hallucinate. And then you think like, is that it? Is that it? No, no, that's not it. Oh, oh that one, that one, that one looks like it. And then, oh, maybe that's not it, right? And after a while, you start pinning your hopes on this bright spark um, after another bright spark after another bright spark. But along the way, if you do that too indiscriminately, you find yourself having your hopes dashed because you put your hopes on this would-be Messiah, would-be Saviour, and then they fail and they flop, right? And then you go like, oh, no, ah, they were not Messiah. Okay, law, okay, law, let's regroup, law, right? Uh, um, maybe God say not yet, ma, and then you regroup and you wait. Now, I want to share with you guys about three things I'm learning, even as I prepared for this uh, uh, sermon, three things I'm learning about waiting, and I want to show you these three things. So, is there, is there a Bible verse after this? Uh? Oh yes, there are, there are Bible verses. Lots of Bible verses. So, so I shared with you all that they are waiting, right? Waiting, okay? They are waiting, but what are they waiting for? What are they waiting for? They are waiting for a bunch of all these things. So I'm going to rattle off for you guys a string, seven slides of Bible verses, okay? God spoke to Adam. Long ago, God spoke to Adam. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He's speaking in, in this, actually, strictly speaking, uh, he's speaking to the serpent. Okay, okay. But this whole part, he's speaking to Adam and Eve and then the serpent. He says that I'll put enmity between, between humans and the serpent, the serpent and humans, and Adam's sons will crush the head of the serpent. So, so one thing we know, who we are, we, we are waiting for, okay, is that we are waiting for one who will crush the head of the serpent. That's what we know we are waiting for. But God spoke to Abraham. He spoke to Abraham and said that I will establish my covenant between me and you, your offspring after you throughout the generations. An everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. So there is a covenant, a promise, right? And this is going to go on forever okay next slide 
Let's look at this. He said, he said something to, to Judah, one of the sons of Jacob, right? He said, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. So this ancestor from deep into the, into the family tree, this family, this family will, will come. Uh, 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 the, the royal family, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, right? And then down Judah's line, you have King David. And he says that after you have slept with your, gone to sleep, right uh, uh, and and return uh, 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 back to me right i will establish your kingdom i will raise up an off uh, an offspring after you right uh, um, and i will establish the throne of this offspring forever is it an earthly king no they are waiting for a savior a savior to come from judah's family and down to david's family and let's look at the next slide right because he said a lot god said a lot of things to isaiah right isaiah the prophet he said the virgin will conceive and birth a son and you will call him emmanuel capital i right not, not this spelled with an i same name emmanuel means god with us Right? So we know a few things now, right? More detail. We are waiting for a saviour who will be who will be carried by a virgin, you know, and, and who, who 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 will be called uh, um, Emmanuel. One of his names will be Emmanuel. And then God spoke to Micah and said, But to you, Bethlehem Ephrata. Wow, now there's a kampong. We know the name, we know the bit about the mother, now we know a bit about the kampong, right? The kampong is Bethlehem Ephrata, right? From you, small clan, small kampong, will come a ruler over all Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times, meaning that this saviour is going to come from Bethlehem and, and he is not just any ordinary saviour, he comes from the ancient of times. In other words, he's from God. He's from God, okay? Okay, let's go on, let's go on, right? Wow, now we really know what we're waiting for. He spoke elsewhere. He spoke to Isaiah. In chapter 9, he says that, that um, he will honour Galilee of the nations, wow, by way of the sea, right? The people who walk, who walk in darkness have seen a great light. On those living a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. In other words, the ministry will dawn and the great light will break into through Galilee. Right, so his ministry will begin and break out from Galilee. Now we've got more things, more clues to look for. And then elsewhere, he said to Isaiah, the eyes will, of, of the blind will be open, ears of death unstopped, the lame will leap like a deer, the mute tongue will shout for joy. What does this mean? This means that there will be a supernatural ministry of this Saviour. More clues coming up. Next slide. Again, more to Isaiah. He says, Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. Well, he's going to be just, right? He's going to rule in justice. And then he says, He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. In other words, he will be gentle. He will be humble. He won't be like all the other rulers that you are accustomed to. He will be a gentle, humble ruler. And in Isaiah 53, it says that he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. In other words, he's not going to have superstar good looks. He's not going to so-called look the part. You all know what look the part means? You know, every five years in US elections, somebody will say he looks presidential. Yeah, you heard people say that this guy looks presidential. It means that they kind of like have the package that reminds you of what a president should look like. Now, now, what Isaiah, God is saying through Isaiah is, He's not going to look presidential. 
He's not going to look messianic, strictly speaking. He's going to befuddle you that you would, you would be looking at all these other things, you know, grand, tall, you know, beautiful, uh, uh, well-built, whatever, whatever, like different culture got different uh, 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 things we look for, right? And then Padahal is this one. Looks totally not like what I was looking for. That's another clue. It's another clue. So all the, by the way, King Saul was like that, huh? All the best looks, all the best whatever, right? Look the part, but it's not the guy. Even King David, before he became a king, his brothers were lined up by the, by, by the father. Say, this one, first one, huh, see? So, so ling chai, so strong, so everything, right? And then, and then the prophet uh, 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 on the day, Samuel said, no, not this one, not this one, not this one, not this one, right? So, so already there is a pattern, right? There's a pattern. No beauty or majesty to attract us to him, right? Nothing in the appearance that we should desire him. Let's move on. Let's move on, right? More clues, okay? Um, they, to David, he said in Psalm 22, Dogs around me, a pack of villains encircle me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Hey, friends, this is 1,000 years before Jesus came, uh, and already the prophecy that they pierced my hands and my feet. We know this Messiah, they will pierce him. They will strike him on his finger, on his hands. They will strike him on his feet, right? They will divide his clothes among them, cast lots for my garments, right? Wow, wow, this is like Tsun level 10.0, okay? Like 100 max, okay? Like this is like level prophecy, uh, 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 you know? Um, and then he said to Zechariah, right? See, your king comes to you, righteous, victorious, but lowly, humble, riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. We know this happened as well. You should be looking out for this. Not some grand hero on a white horse, right? Not yet anyway. This look, you're looking for a humble saviour, right? Um, so one more, last one, last one. Right? He says to Isaiah, In that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for my peoples, the nations. Somebody say nations. All the different tribes. Right? The nations here means ethnos. Ethnos. It doesn't mean uh, political uh, uh, countries. It means that every people group with a unique language group, that's ethnos, right? Uh, will rally to him. In other words, the whole world. And different cultures will all come to him. You've got to be watching for someone who draws in all the nations. Not just some insulated Jewish hero, but someone whose heart is for the world. And then the last one, my, my favourite. Therefore my heart is glad. God says to David in Psalm 16, My body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. In other words, he's going to live forever. His body will not decay. Clue. Resurrection. It's easier for us though because we get to look back at all these seven pages of prophecy with the benefit of hindsight. Now, you have to understand, for them, they don't have the benefit of hindsight. They just have a bunch of clues. And if you've ever tried to read your Old Testament, you've got to spot some of these clues from in, amongst a lot of texts. So, but it doesn't mean that they didn't. In fact, the learned ones among them knew what these clues were and were waiting for the clues and should have sharp eyes to spot them. And then if you can spot them, like you handle real money, you handle fake money, if you handle real money all the time, you know what real money feels like. The moment you touch counterfeit note, you know, hey, 
This is not right. You blindfold or so you're like, hey, this is wrong, wrong, wrong feel, right? Same thing. If you're constantly watching and waiting for the original and you see a counterfeit by right, you should be able to tell this is a pretender. This is not the real thing. You should come naturally to you if you handle the original a lot. Church, this is important. If you don't know your Bible, a pretender shows up, you're going to fall for a false gospel. You're going to fall for a false saviour. So that's why this whole, why do you think this whole year I keep asking you, what's your favourite Bible verse? What's your favourite chapter of the Bible? And I brought so many people to come here and share with you their favourite chapter of the Bible. Why? To inspire you, or if not, to incite you to go to your word and know it. Let it go through you and you go through it so that you keep handling the original if you keep handling the original, the moment you touch the counterfeit, you can tell it is false and you can drop it, right? You know to drop it. But if you don't, you won't. And then you will buy it. You will love it. You will say, oh yeah, ho, maybe God is like this. You hear some kaba angin and then you say that, oh, maybe God is like this. I don't think God would do that. It sounds not like Him. And then, how? where do you get the impression? Where's your, where's your template? To be able to sense that God would or would not be like this. I don't know, just my feeling, I think God would not. No, it doesn't work that way. It, you got to go to your Bible. That tells us what God is like. And so, during those 400 years of silence, now let's go to the next slide. People were waiting, people were watching. They should be watching with the lens of all those seven slides and more. There's just a finite list, right? And more, but pretenders started to show up. False hopes started to show up. And I want to show you now, right? Three things I'm going to show you about waiting for a saviour. Okay, so let's go to the three points. Pretenders, preparation, promise. Everybody say pretenders. Preparation promise okay now there were two pretenders to the throne coming one after another it's not that they styled themselves that i am the messiah right it didn't quite happen exactly like that but along the way the people of god start waiting hoping longing for someone to save them remember when i talked to you about how alexander's kingdom started to break apart the seleucids were controlling judea right now at that time there was an emperor his name was Antiochus IV, okay, Antiochus IV. And this guy, super, didn't come with the Jews, okay? So the, the temple, ma, remember the temple in, in, that, that Nehemiah, I, I, uh, Ezra, they rebuilt this whole thing, right? That temple, Antiochus IV repurposed that temple as a quasi Jewish pagan temple. Now, if you know the Jews, that is super cannot happen one, okay? You don't bring a foreign idol in, you don't do anything. And then to cap it off, he brought a... Now you can feel the offensiveness. He brought a babi in there and he sacrificed the pig in the temple. Hey, guys, we live in Malaysia. Our, our neighbours also feel very strong about pig one, huh? okay? Now, the Jews also feel very strong about pigs one, huh? okay? So, so this was the worst possible thing okay that the Seleucids could have done right and Antiochus sacrificed a pig right at the altar the holy altar of Yahweh okay wow 
and then what happens? Fight law. And you know when they fight, who comes out on top? This family of a guy called Judah Maccabeus. Okay. Um, now I'm going to get into his story soon. Okay. But I want to show you this. If you click the next uh, uh, slide, there are two kinds of pretenders. And so the first one, now, friends, you'll know this. When you wait and you wait and you wait and you wait a long time, you're going to have some kind of response, some kind of reaction against the waiting. And sometimes we wait until we settle. We settle for something less. We settle for a cosmetic approximation of what we were waiting for. Ayah, this will do lah. Wait very long already. Very sian already. Maybe you're waiting for a house, right? Maybe you're waiting for a property. And then you wait until so long already. They say, ayah, ayah, this one is a bit smaller. Uh, the, 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 the shape of this thing is just not so right. The access road is, ayah, ayah, but I'll take it lah. I will settle, right? And then some other times when we wait for something for so long, we decide God, I'm done with waiting for you. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm not going to settle. I'm going to strive. I'm going to do it my way. And then you, Sandiri, go and do law, right? Everything is your own law. And now it's my way. I'm not going to follow you anymore, God. You know, I'm going to do it. Uh, and then it, you end up in ruthless self-reliance. You're yeah? doing everything yourself. It's going to be your way, your, your way or the highway, you know. So I'm going to walk you into this because you know what? The two pretenders that showed up during these 400 years of silence, one of them incited and brought out the settling and they became a cosmetic approximation of the Messiah. The other one brings out the striving self-reliance of God's people so that they became a picture of ruthless, power-grabbing, hungry for myself to win. Okay, And this is what happens when you wait too long and you say that, God, I'm done. When you say, God, I'm done with your vision for me, I'm going to either settle or I'm going to strive on my own strength. So, what happens when God's people settle? I want to show you this guy. Remember Antiochus IV, right? He sacrificed the pig, okay? Now, 2 Timothy 3 has something to say about this pattern, okay? He says, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, oh my God, such a long list. Conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then get this, hear this, right? Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Let that sink in. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Verse 1, 2, 3, 4 speaks about the ruthless self-reliance. Everything, I'm going to do it for myself. Verse 5 speaks of the, 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 the approximation that is only very cosmetic, only the outside looks like God's plan, but it's not having a form of godliness but denying its power and have nothing to do with both these types of pretenders, okay? So pretender number one, let's look at it, right? Um, the Hasmonean dynasty came up, okay? So a bit of history, okay? This guy here on your screen, his name is Judah Maccabeus. And everybody say Judah Maccabeus. Judah Maccabeus, um, his family is known as the Maccabees. So if you come from a Catholic background, uh, you will know that in your Catholic Bible, there are some deuterocanonical books, uh, and one of them is 1st Maccabees, another one is 2nd Maccabees. Okay, I'm not preaching from 1st, 2nd Maccabees today, so please don't pick up the stones uh, and stone me, okay? But 
But Judah, those two books tell the historical story of the Hasmonean dynasty. Judah Maccabees arose, fought and led an uprising, an insurrection against Antiochus IV, the guy who sembelied the Babi in the temple, right? Okay, and they actually won. And they took over that territory in Judea. And they established their own family kingdom there. Uh, Judah, now I'm going to cut the long story short. They reigned in Judah some 180 plus years, 100, maybe 190 something if I'm not mistaken, just under 200 years. Hey, 200 years is very long. Leh. It's actually very long. Leh, you know, It's quite fantastic. Um, 2020, uh, 21 now, uh, 200 years ago is 1820s. You know. It's literally saying like, like, King Louis XIV in France reigned until today, his family. Hey, that's quite long way. That's quite long. So don't, don't Panang Renda uh, dynasty, the last 200 years, huh, it's quite something. I want to tell you a bit about this dynasty. Let's click next slide. They defeated the foreign oppressor. Check. They're waiting for Messiah, ma, right? Check. Defeated foreign oppressor. Check. Restored Israel's pride. Check. Was he a religious ally? Yes. You know what? You know what the Maccabees did? They cleansed the temple. And the people of God were waiting that, that, that the Saviour will come and cleanse it. That he cleansed the temple from that abominate, abominable act of the, of the sacrifice of the, of the pig, right? They cleansed it. He became a religious ally to the religious crowd. He's a military ruler, right? Insurrectionist. But he became an ally, right? He became the political side that says, that lends voice to my, my views and my faith. Wow, I sokong this guy, right? He was a religious ally. And then some more same ethnic, same cultural identity. Wow, check, check, check. And 200 years, just under 200 years of governance within the same family. Or within them, the brother, son, father, all this, they fight. But then, Akhenia, Keluarga sama juga, right? And the end of the day, still within the family, keep passing it down and there was stability, right? Sounds good, ma. Don't you think that this sounds like they are the God finally sending the Messiah? Actually, with hindsight, we will say no. But if you don't have hindsight, huh, it looks quite good, huh, you know. The only problem is, it only superficially approximates the Saviour. I show you all seven pages of the Messiah, right? Okay. It only approximates it. It has some of the looks, but it's not the real thing. What was the main thing that it lacked? It did not carry God's spiritual DNA. It didn't. And so the Hasmonean dynasty, though lasting 200 years, though doing a lot of things for the people of Israel, not least of all restoring their Jewish pride, could not restore their spiritual brokenness. It just could not do that. But we know from, the, from, from all the prophecies that came before that this saviour that we ought to be waiting for is going to restore their spiritual brokenness. He's going to heal them. He's going to bring them back to God, right? He was the one that, that God promised to Abraham so long ago. He will crush the head of the serpent. Not just of the Seleucids. That's not the real serpent. The real serpent is Satan, death, sin, you know, um, evil powers of darkness. That's the real serpent, right? And, and, and so it is tak cukup sama. Not enough, not light enough. But then they fell for it, law, right? Or you can say into what some level or another, they accepted it. Maybe this is our lot in life. Maybe this is going to be the saviour family, you know, uh, uh, some weird continuation uh, from the heroic kings or from David's time. Maybe. But we know it's not. Now, I told you all 200 years. At the end of the 200 years, 
another guy arose. Another guy arose and his name was Herod the Great. Now, Herod the Great is not from the family of Jacob. He is not from the family of, of, of Judah. So strictly speaking, if you've got eyes to see and you handle the original a lot, you know this is counterfeit. Okay. In fact, quite interestingly, he is an Idumean. An Idumean is an Edomite. An Edomite is from the family of not Jacob, but his older brother, Esau. And so, this guy, an Esau descendant, partners with the rising Roman Empire. Greek kingdom is broken and super fractured. Roman Empire coming up. This guy, he sees that the wind is blowing towards the Romans. He goes to the Romans and then with the Romans comes and takes down the Hasmonean dynasty. So one family, Jato, a new kingdom rises up. The Herodian dynasty begins with this guy, Herod the Great. This is the Herod who killed all the baby boys when Jesus was born. This is that Herod, right? Let's, let's look, a, let's look at, at, at him a little bit because there's him, okay? And then there is his son. His son is also called Herod. His son is Herod Antipas. Okay, Herod Antipas was the Herod who killed John the Baptist, had his head cut off. Y'all remember that? Different Herod, huh? Different Herod. The Herod uh, who killed the baby boys and the Herod who had John the Baptist beheaded. Father and son. Both shed blood. Both felt insecure about their position. Both would not accept anybody standing up against them. And so in order to crush the rival, kill, kill. Kill, kill. That's the, the DNA of the Herodian dynasty. There is one more, the grandson, okay, not Antipas' son, okay, but another son, Punya son, okay, is Herod Agrippa. And you all know uh, Acts chapter 12, there is a king. And then he has all this delegation of people coming to give him flattery. They say, oh, a voice of a god, right? And then this Herod, Herod Agrippa, didn't correct them. He said, no la, I'm not God la. He didn't even say, Aya Paise. He didn't even say anything. He just, he just accept, Oof, wow, sure, people call me God. And then he had bowel problem, stomach problem, and then eventually he died. Everything broke open. Acts chapter 12. That Herod, three different Herods, three different generations, okay? Now, what did Herod the Great, the Akong, do? He grew the Judean infrastructure. Huge waterworks. He grew the temple, by the way. So, 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 so it became really, uh, uh, in his time, infrastructure was this big thing, big mega project guy, right? And then he, had, he, he entrenched his grip on power. He became a huge religious sponsor because he, he enlarged the temple, the second temple, right? Um, and then he connected them to an influential network of Romans, okay? Never mind that the these guys are semi-oppressing these guys, but it's like, wait, I give you this rich patron way. You, you, you stay good to this, this, this brother, this big brother will look after you, have all the money to look after you. And he brought modernity. But what's wrong with the Herodian dynasty? Ruthless self-reliance. Jaga Sandiri. So Jaga Sandiri that anybody who comes up, kill, 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 right? Is this the Messiah we are waiting for? But sometimes, uh, in a very much more normal way, right? We are a bit like that, no? When we wait, wait, wait for God's way until cannot ready, then we say, God, how come, how come? They say, you know what? 
I'm so angry with God. I'm so angry with life. I'm so angry with everything. I'm going to do it my way. And once you do it, things your way, you say that my way, law. I am. I call the shots. I'm my own point of reference from here on. I do everything to save myself. And if people stand up against me, I'll find a way to get rid of them, whatever it is. And then, unbeknownst to us, the spirit of Herod. The, I'm not being super spiritual, right? I'm just saying that the pattern of, of Herodian you know, a, a grip on power creeps into our hearts and the way we do things. And, and we start to live and pattern ourselves after this kind of hope. But this kind of hope, my friends, is no hope at all. It's no hope at all. Let's look, let's, let's look uh, um, at the next slide, right? Because when you see that pretenders start coming up and, and we are, as we wait for a saviour, we think that, oh, I want to I be like this, I want to be like that, I want a saviour to be like this, you know. Either you chase after something and strive for it or you just settle for something which is just an approximation. God is saying that you have your eyes on the wrong thing because what I want your eyes to be on is not on all of these heroes and it's not even on the outcomes. It's not a about arriving at some place. I want you to wait because waiting is good for you. And we say, oh, no, 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 no. God, you got this wrong. Waiting is about the thing we are waiting for. Can? Can? You wait for the thing you're waiting for, ma? Right? And God says, no. Don't worry about the thing you're waiting for. I know some of you all have Lazada packages coming this afternoon and you're waiting for it and you're like, Ayo, after, after service, better fast, fast, go back, you know. Uh, if not, my neighbour have to accept, receive my, my, my Lazada for me, my Shopee for me. Waiting in our minds is about the thing we are waiting for, but not to God. Ultimately, He will give you the thing you're waiting for. But for God, waiting is about the preparation. It's about the condition of your heart. Let's look at, let's look at a, some Bible. Let's look at some Bible. Romans chapter 8, verse 22. It says here, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we what? As we wait. We wait what? We wait eagerly. For what? For our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Two things happening here, adoption, redemption. Now, you look at the tense in English, your Bahasa English, look at it. Is it happened already? Happened already or not? No ma. We are waiting eagerly for our adoption to sonship and for the redemption of our bodies. It is something that is at best happening currently, if not about to happen, right? So adoption and redemption are the substances of the waiting. As you wait, He is adopting you into a family. As we wait, He is redeeming our bodies. He, in other words, He is winning your heart. He is shaping and transforming you. Spiritual formation and character transformation is happening at the time of waiting. So you're saying, but God, I want you to finish this job. Finish the waiting. Make me the end article. He says, no. 
No, 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 slow down, slow down. You're getting it wrong. Waiting is about the work that happens inside of you while the waiting takes place. In other words, in other words, we are looking for the arrival, but he's looking for the preparation of the person who will receive the arrival or who will arrive, right? Let's look at this. Like, for in this hope we were saved. Hope that is not seen. Let's finish reading the Bible verse and then we'll get to this, right? Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In other words, that which we are wanting is something we do not have yet. But it is not an external thing. We are hoping and waiting and the transformation is happening in us. Let's look at the next slide now. Thanks. Okay, so in other words, my friends, it's not about the arrival. The preparation is more important than the arrival. And sometimes we just want to see the outcome, right? And trust me, the outcome will be good if you hang on God. Because what does He say? He says, abide in me and I in you. You will bear much fruit. Fruit that will last. Fruit that will abide. Right? So the fruit, when you hang in God, is fruit that will abide. But He's not asking you to focus on the fruit. As we always say, a mango tree does not every day say, Mango, 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 fruit, fruit, uh, fruit, fruit, come on, uh, 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 pop, hey! Right? That's not what the mango tree does. Mango tree just spreads its arms out to the sun. And it soaks in the, 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 the sunlight and it drinks deep from the ground. It is obedient to its waiting, right? It's obedient to the process. And as it lifts up its branches to the heavens, as it puts its roots deep into the ground and drinks and eats, and one day, as it abides in the sun and abides in the roots and in, in the soil, it bears much fruit. Its focus is not on the fruit. Its focus is on the sun and its focus is on the soil. My friends, same for us. God has called us not to fixate on the outcomes. I know we're all very outcomes-driven people. We are. I, am, I can sometimes be quite outcomes-driven as well. And, and then, you know, like, then you cut corners because you want to get to the end. You know, we all do a bit of that. Friends, God is saying, spread your arms to the Son of God. Put your roots deep down in the soil of His Word. Drink and eat. Abide in me as I in you. Then you will bear much fruit. But your fruit is going to be fruit that will last when you abide in me. But you have to pay attention to the me, not in the fruit. Abide in Jesus, not in the outcomes. Amen. Amen. Come on, church. It's, it's, do you all see why this is so important? Because if, I don't, if we don't get this right, our waiting will be full of anxiety. If we don't get this right, we will wait anxiously for outcomes. But God is saying, wait in patient obedience. Same thing. We want end product, but God is looking for our posture. Remember Saul? Samuel the prophet went to King Saul early in his, in his royal uh, 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 career, right? His tenure as king. And Samuel says that you're going to go to this uh, such and such place and you're going to wait for me. And when I come, I will sacrifice the sacrifice. I will, I will assemble the sacrifice. You be king. I be priest. You go and wait. I will come. Saul goes. He waits. 
and he waits. And then his people start to grumble. And then he starts to get impatient. He goes like, Ayo, this Samuel bluff one, he say he's going to come, he don't come. I die already, la. people angry already, angry already, angry already, angry already. And then you know what? He says, must do already. Forget it. I do myself. You want to stand me up? But then Samuel said, wait until X o'clock, ma. haven't X o'clock yet. Ma. Saul says, I can't wait anymore. Right? Obviously, you're not going to come. And then he breaks out of his role. He takes on the role of the priest. He offers the sacrifice. He quells the angry crowd around him. But there is an angrier crowd, a host in heaven that comes through Samuel. He comes and says, at the 11th, 59th hour, Samuel comes and says, why you do this? Why you couldn't wait? Why you couldn't wait? Because Saul's eyes was on the outcomes. He's on like, I have to get this thing done by this time. And Samuel said, no, your job was to wait. That's all you had to do. If the outcomes fail, it's down to me because I'm the one who was late. It's my fault, not your fault. Your, your job is to wait. My job is to show up, right? And Samuel said, and I showed up. I told you X o'clock. By X o'clock, I showed up. And then he says that now I know. And now the Lord can see your heart that you have no obedience. You will not wait for him. You will do things your own way. You are your own master. From now on, the kingdom will be snatched from your hand. Wow. And so you see the decay of a king from that moment onwards. Very, very sad story. Very sad story. Friends, it's not just a king who will decay. Eh? If we can't wait in obedience, if we, if we keep looking for all the bright, shiny things and we are not prepared to wait and allow God to shape us in the waiting, it will also be a sad decay of a life. It will be because you will chase after everything like Saul. You will chase after everything for optics, for PR, for all these nice, nice things to show the world that you are winning, you know, because you say that I have to fake it till I make it, you know, and you go, lah. That's, your, that's your life. Lah. And along the way, Samuel is going to say, the Samuel in your conscience will come and say, God says, why you cannot wait for me? Why you do things your own way, right? So, friends, waiting is not easy. I don't want to make light of it. Waiting is not easy. And along the way, while we wait, a lot of other pretend would-be uh, um, uh, uh, saviors, and all these, all these would-be messiahs will come and dangle all their carrots in front of us. Be familiar with the original. If not, you will fall for the counterfeit. And along the way, keep your eyes not on the outcomes. Keep your eyes on the process of obedience and preparation that God is doing in your heart. Last point. When you look at all of these things and you are way late one way, way late another way, and you say, God, maybe it's like, maybe it's like Judah Maccabees. Maybe that's the best we can do. Or maybe it's going to be like King Herod and his family. Ah, yeah, a little ruthless. Eh, but he built us the temple there. Very nice there, you know. Um, yeah, maybe we can put up with a little bit of ruthlessness, you know. But quite okay, what, right? He put us on the map, right? And then you start going from one place to another place. You begin with God giving you a promise. You begin with God showing you this is the blueprint. And maybe for some of us, 
for some journeys in your life, God has given you clearer signs, clearer indication because He knows you're going to face headwinds and He knows you're, you're going to waver. And if you're going to go young, you know, God is going to say, I'm going to give you clear signs, clear, obvious signs so that when you go young, you can remember. Some of us don't need the signs, okay? But some of us do because we face different kinds of winds. Now, my friends, when you go young that time, go back to the promise, the blueprint. So for God's people in those 400 years, waiting for a Messiah, waiting for a Messiah, and then Judah Maccabeus looks so, so nice, yeah, so, so, so nice, so stable, so our own guy. And then Herod looks like, wow, wow, we could get something from this guy. He could actually enrich us and prosper us, right? And then you lose track. Go back to the promise. What is the promise? Look at all the checkboxes again from the first seven slides that I showed you. Is he has to come from the tribe of Judah. If he's not coming from the tribe of Judah, ain't gonna happen. In fact, I know a few, uh, a few years ago, it became quite fashionable. People started saying that if Saul uh, uh, could be obedient, the king would have come from him. Actually, no. No, he's a Benjaminite. It would never come from him because the blueprint says tribe of Judah, check, has to check. Descendant of David, has to check. Carried by a virgin, must be checked. Born in Bethlehem, must be checked. Ministry must begin in Galilee, look out for it. He will be gentle and humble, don't be hoodwinked. There will be a supernatural ministry, don't be too cynical. He will be rejected and he will suffer. So don't, don't look for something pompous. He will be wounded for our atonement. There will be no physical attractiveness. So keep your eyes not on the, or, or, on the trends, but keep your eyes on the truth. He will ride in on a donkey, so don't look out for, for glamorous war horses. His hands and his feet will be pierced, so don't be too crushed when that happens. He will draw all nations to him, so don't keep your eyes on, on, on small holy huddles. And his body will be resurrected. Believe. When the testimony eventually comes to you, you better believe because it was said from long ago, it will happen. When you see these things, and this is a limited list, okay? Only fit one slide, there's more. When you see these things, you know Messiah is here. And for some of you, you received your own promises. God told you that, that this is the picture I want to show you. This is the picture I want to show you. This is the place I want to take you. And along the way, you have either settled for something less or along the way, you have decided to ditch God and go and strive for it for, by yourself. And you've gone lost. You don't know what's happening in your life. I want to encourage you, my friends, go back to the promise. Do you remember why you married that person? that you're married to, even though you're so exasperated, you want to kill them, you want to push them off the balcony. And then you say, when we part tall last time, God gave us so many signs that we are right for each other. Right? Go back to those signs. You know why? Because those signs are going to stop you from pushing your spouse over the balcony. That's why, that's why you need those signs. If, if it wasn't going to be so stressful, God didn't need to give you those signs. But because God knows it's gonna marriage is gonna be so hard that, that He said, I give you this, so that when this happens, you can turn back to the promise and say the blueprint was clear. So even though I want to kill you, I will not because I remember what God said. If you are in a workplace situation and you say, God, I wanna quit, I've typed out my resignation, I'm just gonna click send and this is over, right? And then and then but but 
remember those days when God led you so supernaturally to that job? He landed that job to you against all possibilities, against all hope. And then He said, you don't leave until I tell you to leave. And then His voice is trying to break through all the noise right now and say, I haven't told you to leave. Why have you typed out a resignation letter? Right? I haven't spoken. Why are you speaking? And maybe it's because He knew it was going to be so hard that He gave you that promise and that clear sign and visual uh, uh, from the start so that you hold it and remember it all the days in your tenure. Friends, you're waiting and I know it's hard. I'm waiting for things and, and it's hard too for me. And maybe you're waiting for something in regards to your family. You're waiting for someone to receive the Lord. You're waiting for someone to be healed. You're waiting for your body uh, to be resurrected in one way or another because something is just not right. You're waiting for a relationship to be healed. You're waiting for a financial breakthrough. You're waiting to get a, uh, to, to, to get a big break at work. You're waiting for something. Maybe you're waiting for an answer and it feels so long and so hard. And when we, do, when we reach these points, breaking points, remember the promise. Remember the promise. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for this opportunity and this time for us to enter into this season of Advent, which is in, in essence a season of waiting, of anticipation, of patience, but also a season for God to shape us. Father, we pray you will shape us and transform us so that, Father God, we can really enter into, into the reality of your goodness over our lives and your good pronouncement over us, Lord God. Your word became flesh. In this way, Lord God, you will transform us. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your love for us is beautiful. It is a good, good, it is a good, rich love. He will not let you down. He will not let you go. He will not let you fall. But he will lift you up. And if you're going through a period of great difficulty, hang in there with the Lord. Hang in there with the Lord. He is holding you. He is growing you. He might be stretching you. But also remember that every tree that bears good fruit, He will prune. The ones that don't bear fruit, He cuts. Those get thrown. The ones that bear good fruit, He prunes. So everything gets cut. Everyone gets cut. It's just a matter of whether you're cut to be thrown, which will not be our destiny, we will get cut as a pruning so that we bear more fruit. So abide in the Lord. Abide in the Lord in this Advent season. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord God. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord turn His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His countenance toward you and give you shalom. And all of God's people, shout aloud, Amen. Come on church, are you victorious today? Shout Amen. <laughs>